Hello there and welcome to the Savings Angel Show. I'm Josh Ellett, Chief Executive Angel at SavingsAngel.com, podcasting to you from my favorite city, my own Orlando, Florida. Now we've gotten through daylight savings time and as a consumer expert, money saving advocate, syndicated newspaper columnist and business coach, I do the PR thing, help lots of good people in fact. I feel that I need to warn you, this is the time of year that people start inching toward what I call the summer slide. Teachers know all about the summer slide when it comes to kids forgetting portions of what they already learned, but I'm talking about the summer slide I observe every year in people's finances. It's this time of year that people start to relax a little too much. Now that's why today I have with me Todd Tresser of FinancialMentor.com. Now, Todd and I are going to discuss how finances and debt are less about circumstances and more about emotions. Now, the debt is, this is, you're going to love this. The debt is just a symptom. We'll talk about how to go from being a victim of debt circumstances to someone who's in control of their finances. That's going to be you. Also, I have a fun interview with the amazing people at Gatorland here in Florida. And speaking of fun places to go, you might be planning a summer vacation with the whole family as soon as school lets out. I'll have eight quick ways to head off meltdowns on family road trips. And finally, I'm going to share a little status update with my diet bet. I've got a huge announcement about some exciting changes coming to Savings Angel. It's so big. Now, I've got a value-packed show lined up, so let's get to saving more, earning more, and living more abundantly. We've got Todd Tresseter from FinancialMentor.com. Todd, how are you? I'm doing good, Josh. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. I'm so glad that I have you on because, uh, you know, I love talking about debt. And and one thing that I appreciate that that you've done is I think that you've taken a special interest in the root causes of debt. And so I think, uh, you know, amongst all of the financial gurus out there, there's so much advice on the dollars and cents of debt. Um, But, you know, what I'm more interested in is... Why? Why does debt happen? And you say that specifically, you say that debt is not a financial problem. What do you mean by that? Well, the financial part of debt is a symptom of the problem. It's not the cause. And so the real source of the problem is your personal habits and attitudes because those are what are driving your spending behavior. And it's causing you to overspend relative to what your income is. And the result is debt. And so what people are doing, it's kind of like, you know, if you have a cold and you go blow your nose, you're treating a symptom. You're not curing the cold, right? Mm. And it's the same thing if you work some of the different strategies around how you get out of debt. Everybody's got, like you said, all these articles about 10 tips to get out of debt and seven tips to spend less and all these things. Those are all the equivalent of saying, you know, take two Advil and blow your nose or whatever you do for a cold. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's kind of the, the financial equivalent. And what I'm saying is, no, you have to look at the cause. You have to look at the root problem, which is your personal habits and your attitudes that are driving you to overspend and get in debt in the first place. That's the only way you'll get a permanent cure. So what kind of life habits are you talking about? When I say life habits, but life habits and attitudes, what specifically uh, would, would we be referring to? Well, you know, I ran into this when I was coaching. What happened is I used to take get out of debt clients and then I also had wealth building clients and I noticed this juxtaposition in, in, you know, I'd go from call to call, coaching call to coaching call. And one day I just kind of woke up and I went, oh my gosh, they're like mere opposites. So to give you an example, uh, my wealthy clients tend towards self-responsibility and all of these are guidelines, right? They're not hard and fast. You'll find exceptions to every rule, but I'm trying to give a framework, right? And so my wealthy clients tends towards self-responsibility. No matter what goes on in their lives, they're self-responsible. Whereas the debt clients tended to be victims. They were victims of their circumstances. What happened to them was somebody else's fault. Somebody did something to them. 
Um, another example is I found my wealthy clients tended to pay attention to the details. They noticed they they noticed they noticed that the devil was in the details, right? And how they implemented things and what results they produced. Whereas my debt clients, they had this tendency towards they kind of wish the whole financial thing would go out of the way. They just wish they could get past it. And details was about the last thing they wanted to deal with on finances. So again, are you seeing how these are like mere opposite issues? Yeah. And so, you know, one question I have is, look, circumstances happen to people. Um, you know, we all have medical emergencies, um, divorce, um, serious impacts to our income happen. What's the difference? Uh, because, um, again, these circumstances can happen to everybody. And I think that if you talk to someone who's who's really struggling with debt, oftentimes they can point back to just, you know, unfortunate circumstances. And you don't wish that upon anyone. Um, but but wealthy people are not immune to these circumstances. What happens? Okay, that's absolutely true. The difference is one group planned for it and was prepared. The other group didn't. And so let me backtrack a little bit here. So everybody has bad stuff happen in their life. You know, the usual causes in debt, divorce, medical emergencies, um, all kind of job loss, all kinds of unplanned problems that you honestly can look at and say, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I got cancer. It's not my fault that, that, you know, I lost my job because the boss ran off with the money. There's all these things that are not your fault. Yeah. The difference is whether or not that results in debt. Okay. If it results in debt, then it's your fault. The, here's the reality. We're all going to have bad stuff happen to us. Everybody yeah. does, whether you're wealthy or you're poor. The difference is one person allows it to result in debt and major financial problems. The other person prepared for it through proper insurance, through proper financial planning, building a reserve fund, whatever it is. They took care of their circumstances in advance. So when it occurred, it was a setback, right? Because bad stuff is always a setback. But if it turns into debt and it turns into bankruptcy and it turns into major problems, that's because you didn't prepare properly. And ultimately, that is your responsibility. So I think the preparation is it's kind of common sense. But, you know, just for someone who's like, well, what specifically are you referring to? What is preparation to you? Well, well, for example, insurance. Like, let's say, let's say that you're a surgeon. Your entire career is surgery and you're doing extremely well and one sur surgeon A saves a high percentage of his income every month and he carries disability insurance. He's preparing, right? He's putting away a nest egg. He's got a nice reserve fund. He's building his assets. And he's got disability insurance because his primary income capability is his hands. The next, in, the next uh, surgeon does none of that preparation. He lives high on the hog. He spends everything he makes. And he doesn't carry disability insurance because he's invincible, Right. And then, bam, along comes a day and they each lose their hands. Unfortunate, yeah. horrible, horrible thing. Completely changes their future. Painful. Everything's wrong with it. It's not their fault. It was an accident. However, the circumstances that result from it is entirely their fault. Yeah. So I think there is a mindset, though, that people say, well, I'm not going to buy that service plan. I'm not going to buy that insurance because it's just an extra expense and I'm going to play the odds. Right. And so, uh, you know, it, is it that wealthy people just say, look, I know it's an extra expense, but I'm going to pay it anyway because I'm cautious. Yeah, it's not so much that, you know, it's a, it's a mindset where, you know, if you created debt, then you can end debt. You're in charge. You're self-responsible. You're fully capable. And so you're also fully capable to get out of that debt. Right. You can change your circumstances. You can change how you behave with money. And you're also responsible that you could create wealth. The beauty of self-responsibility, that position, is it gives you the capability to create whatever you want. You are not a victim. You're in charge of your life. You're capable. When you go to a victim, you lose your capability. You give away that self-responsibility. You give away that power to create your future. Those are very different mindsets. One creates wealth. The other doesn't. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the behavior, I think, that manifests uh, and, and where you start to see a divergence between those who are financially struggling and those who seem to 
just have everything kind of prepared a little bit better and um, can kind of weather the storms of life a little bit better. And I want to talk specifically about behavior. Um, and one of those big behaviors I see is emotional spending. And what is emotional spending? Well, the driver behind emotional spending is the endorphin rush you get from buying, right? So it's not so much the thing that you buy, it's the emotional experience you get from buying. That's what drives emotional spending. Yeah. And so there's a lot of different symptoms of emotional spending. So for example, you know, do you shop to relieve stress or do you shop to get the things you need, right? Are you yeah. shopping to escape boredom? What is your real purpose behind it? You know, some people go shopping as you've heard retail therapy. The term mm -hmm. is retail therapy. Do you do that? Do you shop for a treat? Like if you've succeeded with something, you've had a particularly tough day. Do you go out and treat yourself to a shopping excursion? Those are all dangerous spending habits, right? The wow. reason you should shop is because you need something. If you have a genuine need, then you should fulfill that need. But it's not entertainment value. Movies are entertainment value. Um, you know, another symptom, do you shop for social connection? A lot of women will go out and they'll just shop because the girls are heading out and they're going shopping. It's like a fun oh, thing. Yeah. Right? There's other ways to be social connected. It doesn't have to be associated with spending money. Those are all examples of emotional spending. So do you see this then uh, amongst those who are really doing well with their resources financially? Um, they then don't necessarily shop for recreation? You know, what you have to do is go back to cause and effect again, okay? So they might do it, but they're doing it at a point they can afford it, oh, right. okay? In other words, there's the problem is it's only a problem when you can't afford it, when you can't afford that luxury. If, if you're making millions and you go out and you buy an extra dress, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. If you're cutting it thin and you buy a dress and it puts you in debt, it matters a whole lot. You know, I was chatting about a uh, potential client, and uh, he's a, a YouTube. Uh, he's he's done well on YouTube, but you know, he's really kind of grinded it out over the past few years. Um, started when nobody was watching his stuff, and slowly he's steadily built up a really, really great uh, presence uh, on YouTube to the point now where he's now earning about forty to seventy thousand dollars a month. And the discussion revolved around his decision to want to buy. A, a Lamborghini or a Ferrari <laughs> right? And, and you know and I think there are other people in the conversation that are like what you know how irresponsible could he be and I'm you know I, I guess my point was like well that's what they make them for I, I guess you know it's yeah that, that would be absolutely irresponsible for me to do uh, and I wouldn't necessarily advise anyone intentionally to buy it but then again if I were his age uh, didn't have any other expenses and his you know future were uh, as rosy as it appears, uh, I, I don't know. I guess that's what they, it's, you know, it's, it's circumstances. Yeah. So another friend of ours, I'm not going to name names in the online marketing space, bought a Tesla mm -hmm. and this individual can purchase a Tesla with one month of earnings. Yeah. Um, and will drive that Tesla for many, many years. And so what is a luxury to one person is normal spending for another. I remember when I worked for the hedge fund, I was making middle six figures and, you know, I'd go out, if I wanted a new mountain bike, I'd go buy a mountain bike. It's yeah. not a big deal. Um, whereas, you know, there was periods where I wasn't making anything. I remember when I was in college, I couldn't afford to even buy a junk bicycle, not to mention a new mountain bike. Um, so it just depends on your circumstances, what is a problem spending and what is not. It's not, a, it's not an absolute thing. Yeah. It's, relative to, it's relative to your income. Yeah. So for, for your example, the guy making 50000 70000 a month, you know, if he wants a Lamborghini and that's important to him and he's put he's he's built up a cash cushion and he goes and blows his money for a few months to pay off that Lamborghini, eh, it's not such a big deal. Yeah. You know, and I think the important thing, too, for the person who's listening to us, who's, you know, maybe like, what, what, you know, just, you know, there are seasons of life. And so there are going to be seasons of your life where maybe you're in a position to buy that mountain bike and, and maybe you're in a season of life. I, I Todd, I've been there where, you know, you have a really amazing year and then, you know, maybe sometime afterwards because of circumstances, um, you know, you've got some fluidity, I suppose, with your ability to control your spending. Is that something then that you would see amongst wealthy folk? Yeah, I think it's more that what happens is when you can afford to have anything, you really don't want anything. 
Um, I think like, for example, going back to your Lamborghini conversation, the more interesting conversation would be what's driving the desire or need for the Lamborghini. Um, There's an emotional need in there. And that is really the interesting conversation, because in the end, a car is good for transportation. Right. (laughs) What's happening? I mean, again, you know, the speed limit is 55. What are you going to do with Lamborghini? You can't do in a Toyota Corolla. Uh, I mean, for all practical purposes, right? I mean, you go around a turn faster, but in the end, it's, you know, you're still going to get there, right? It's transportation. Yeah. And so what happens is the Lamborghini is a status symbol mm-hmm. and there's an emotional tie to what that Lamborghini means to the buyer. And so that's the more interesting conversation. And that comes back to your question around what I noticed when I achieved financial freedom is that my desire for spending fell off the f- when you can have anything, you no yes. longer desire anything. It's it's this perverse reality. It's like this catch-22 of life when you can't afford anything. Everything looks like a luxury. Everything looks so desirable because yes. you can't have it, right? But once you can have it all, once you can just go buy anything you want, guess what? It becomes a burden. This stuff all takes energy. It all takes time to buy. It takes time to use. It uses you up, and time is your ultimate scarce resource. Yeah. You know, Wealth and life is about experiences. It's not about stuff. And so this whole buying mentality around stuff is really the underlying problem. Mm. You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, how I look at stuff today is, is much different than I did when, you know, I was in a position where we were financially struggling. And oh, yeah. I, I really, I just kind of see it as just accoutrements of life. You know, just like, okay, do I want to accept stewardship for this thing that I want to buy. Because again, it's one more thing that can break. It's one more thing that's going to need maintenance. It's one more thing that's going to take up uh, space in my home that I'm going to have to find a place for. Um, you know, is the joy that I get from that truly going to outweigh uh, that investment that I have to make? Yeah, and the biggest investment is time. It's not yeah. the money. Once you, once you have the money, the money's a commodity, right? Once you have the money, it's the really, it's the time burden of the stuff. So for example, our family just spent two months traveling through Europe. We hiked the Camino de Santiago, which uh, goes across the top of Spain. It's a 500 wow. mile hike. And the whole family did it together, right? And it was just, just this amazing, amazing experience. We were a month on the trail, plus we had a couple weeks in other European locations around that yeah. hike. And, and it was just this incredible experience you know, I'll carry that to my grave. It was a wonderful vacation, you know, family experience. Compare that to spending that same amount of money on a new car. It's just not the same thing. Mm, Yeah. So how about addiction? Can they impact? I mean, obviously, this is kind of a dumb question the way I'm phrasing it. But let's see, Todd, can addictions impact our spending and our finances? Yeah, hugely, right? Because again, it's it's another form of emotional spending where if you have an addiction, you're not making fully rational decisions. They're driven by a much deeper, probably un- unconscious emotion. And so examples are, you know, the most common one is alcohol addiction, right? There, I don't think there's anybody listening that doesn't know an alcoholic. Um, and alcoholic addiction, it will mess up your life in many ways. It'll cause spending problems and it also causes earning problems often because it causes damage yeah. to life in general. You know, sex addiction, um, problematic. All forms of addiction are basically unhealthy and unbalanced and they will result in financial problems. Yeah. You know, and I think one thing that uh, can creep up quite a bit is another thing that you point out um, in an article. And by the way, Todd, um, we're going to share that you've actually written an ebook, and I'll talk about that in just a minute because um, sure. it's really helpful. Because again, I think it, it kind of digs a little deeper into what we're talking about is these emotional causes of debt. Um, and I don't think anyone needs to feel bad about it, but I think they need to be clear on these things so that we can make permanent changes so that that is the key word yeah that is the key word that you just laid out there's clarity Mm. what happens is so much of this is being unconscious it's you know you people are doing things not because they're bad people it's because they don't know better yeah and they're and they're being driven by habits and patterns that they've established maybe they're handed down from parents that didn't know any better could be handed down from peers wherever they learn these habits these habits aren't serving them and people are you know people are good if you if you become aware of it, if you're conscious, they can't hold up to the light. In other words, if you shine light on them and you see what they are, you see the result you're, they're producing, you know they're not good in your life, that clarity will cause the change. It's not hard to make the change. People think it's this big act of discipline. It's not. It's about mm. awareness. Mm. 
Mm. You know, entitlement, I think, is one that creeps up. And, and how do you refer to entitlement? Entitlement is this idea that people think they're entitled to all the good things in life. Like they're just they're entitled. Right? I mean, I just deserve all the best in life. Mm. Right. How many people can relate to that? The reality is you don't deserve anything. Right. You deserve exactly <laughs> what you, you deserve exactly what you can afford to pay for and nothing more. I mean, that that's what finance tells you. That's math. It's undeniable truth. Wow. Um, you know, and, and kind of associated with that is, you know, fulfilling this instant gratification. Um, and, and again, I think as we talked about earlier, I think wealthy people probably still seek instant gratification, but they know what their, you know, they know what their spend is. Yeah, there, you got to think of it in terms of cycles, right? So it, what really is funny, Josh, is that it's actually kind of a twist on reality because people who build wealth, they actually do get instant gratification. It just comes from a different source. Mm. They find it very gratifying to be saving towards their future, watching the savings account grow, watch it compound and turn into wealth. It's positively addictive. And I use those terms carefully, positively addictive, <laughs> right? So they are getting instant gratification. It's just very different. They're not the emotional satisfaction is from heading towards their goals. It's not from the thing that they buy. It's from the positive movement towards their goals that express their deeper values. So it's not that they don't get instant gratification. It's just that it's defined very differently for somebody who becomes wealthy. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, again, you, I think you just kind of touched on, you know, where they derive their self-worth. Um, but but one thing that you point out in, in this report, and again, Todd, I'm going to link this up over at Savings Angel, because I think, um, you know, this would be a good, um, you know, just this article alone at your website, financialmentor.com, and I'll link to this and I'll send this out via email and, and all that. This would be a really good article for I think husband and wife to just kind of go through together and just kind of do a gut check with one another. Is it is that how you would recommend uh, that they go through this information? Yeah, what you know what this article was, Josh, is you know there's whole websites dedicated to people trying to get out of debt, yeah. telling their story of trying to get out of debt. And frankly, I just read too much of it, and <laughs> I, I I got I, you know I don't want to sound crass. But it's like it's just not that complicated, okay? Right. This is this is an emotional issue caused by a spending problem resulting from emotional issues and lack of awareness. And until we address those core issues – and so what I wanted to do, the reason I wrote this article is I wanted to take it a cut deeper so that you could actually create a permanent solution. That Most people are aware of this. You know, people get out of debt and then they cycle right back into debt and then they get out of debt and they cycle right back into debt yeah. and they implement all these strategies to get out of debt. And then what do they do? They cycle right back into debt. Why is that pervasive cycle in existence and getting out of debt? It's because they're treating the symptom, not the core cause or problem. That's why I wrote this article. I wanted to give some tough love that talks about what the real issue is, which is the emotional spending problem and the lack of awareness associated with it. Hit it hard and give them actionable steps to work with. Mm, I love it. The goal, the goal is a permanent cure. It's not just a Band-Aid. It's not blowing your nose. It's a permanent cure. Yeah, for sure. So, Todd, I'm going to link this up over at Savings Angel. If you're on my email list, you're listening to this conversation right now, and you get my email, I'm going to email it right to you. Uh, but, Todd, they can also go directly to financialmentor.com. And how I found it uh, was right on the front page. It's it's linked right up. It's, um, you know, how to get out of debt, uh, the complete guide. And uh, you'll scroll that. Uh, you'll find that under where it says popular articles. So, again, that's financialmentor.com. Scroll down to where it says popular articles and then click on uh, number four, how to get as, as I'm looking at it right now. Right now, it's the fourth most popular article uh, on your website, how to get out of debt, the complete guide. And I was really inspired by this. So, so Todd, I want to thank you for putting this together. And I want to thank you for having this conversation about, um, you know, how debt is, you know, it, it is, it's, um, um, I get it. You know, it's, it's not, uh, the, the, the dollars and, and cents, uh, issue more. So it's again, just kind of symptomatic of the underlying emotional things that are going on in our lives. Yeah, always understand that your money is a mirror. Mm. You're the cause. Your money is the mirror. It's, it's mirroring back to you your habits and attitudes that are being reflected in the financial results you produce. 
Awesome. Todd Tressiter from FinancialMentor.com. Thank you so much for this conversation, my friend. Thank you, Josh. All right. Welcome, everybody. And I'm with Tim Williams, who is the Dean of Gator Wrestling here at Gatorland in Orlando. And Tim, can you give us a little history on you started working with Gators a long time ago? I did. Back in 1972 at the Alligator Farm in St. Augustine, I worked with a gentleman named Ross Allen, who was a hero of mine growing up here in Florida, and uh, came here to Gatorland in 1991, 26 years ago, to bring in the Gator Wrestling Show primarily, and was director of shows and entertainment for a number of years. And then I got to a point in my career in my life where... I can get down on a gator, I can't get back up, so they decided to make me the dean of gator wrestling, and I get to work with the media, the, all the media that comes in, which is quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about Gatorland itself, which is a, a really expansive uh, territory here. There's so much to do. You can easily spend, uh, gosh, a, a good four, six hours uh, yeah. with lots to do. There's shows. I was wondering if you could kind of just uh, give us a quick overview of everything there is to offer here. Well, Gatorland started in 1949, and it was only 16 acres and a, and a handful of alligators. Now we're 110 acres. We're, we have about 1,800 birds are barking back here. We had about, a, about 1,800 alligators, a couple hundred crocodiles. We're 110 acres. We've got three shows, the Jumperoo Show, the Gator Wrestling Show, the Up Close Encounters Show. We have the zip line with five towers, a walking bridge, a train ride, a water park. Oh my gosh, you can do the adventure hour where you get to feed the alligators, I mean, up close to the alligator, big gators. So there's just a lot going on. And we've got something new coming up, we hope, uh, by this summer, once we get everything all squared away. A surprise, and I think it's very exciting. But the main thing is, it's a place where people can come spend. Uh, like say four or five hours or more yeah enjoying not just alligators but florida wildlife we're we're out here in the middle of our alligator breeding marsh 130 alligators in this 10 acre breeding marsh but we'll have three to four thousand bird nest in here by march or april because the birds know alligators will protect them from predators mm-hmm. and, and they're right next to the boardwalk so it's a great place to come in and and see uh, alligators as well as birds and them uh, raising their families. Yeah. Now, there are other animals besides the gators and the birds. Uh, we had a, a, an encounter with some giant tortoises. And uh, <laughs> tell us what else that there is here. Giant tortoises, Florida panthers, uh, bobcats, yeah. emus, deer, goats, uh, parakeets, uh, budgies that you can walk in and feed, uh, my gosh, snakes. And a lot of other critters, some people aren't too happy to be around. But the nice thing that I really enjoy about our shows is they're fun, funny, and educational. Yeah. So when you go to a show, if you've got a, a dislike for, say, snakes, like a lot of pe- people do, by the time you see the show, you may not be a snake lover, but at least you won't be quite as afraid of these animals because mm-hmm. you learn a little bit. And that's, that's what we need to do is learn about them. Yeah. Now, one experience that my family and I just got to do was zip lining. <laughs> and so tell us about the, the zip line. And uh, I've done some zip lining before. This was the longest, fastest zip line I've ever done. It's, it's, it, we hear that a lot, and it's rated in the top 10 in the country for zip lines. It's five towers. Uh, the longest tower, it, I mean, the tallest tower is about seven stories. And the, it's almost 600 feet across alligators and crocodiles. And the interesting thing is that uh, you take the zip course, takes about an hour and a half. You have to pre-book it, so you need to go online, Gatorland.com, so you can uh, reserve your spots on it. But the zip line for zip line aficionados mm-hmm. is one of the best around. The, the one thing that we're very proud of here is that we have what we call the Gator Gauntlet. It's a challenge person's zip line. It's a single zip goes directly over the top of the gators and the croc- mm-hmm. uh, alligators here in the breeding marsh. But we have special harnesses, uh, special mechanisms. You can be a quadriplegic, which we've had happen, where came in, this gentleman got the opportunity of getting in the harness, hoisted up, and zipping with his family. And uh, it was a real treat. It was, it was an emotional day for us as well as the family. Uh, as the father said, before all he got to do 
was sit and watch. He actually got to participate. And I think that's what separates Gatorland from a lot of other places. We want everyone to be able to experience it. You know, that's one thing that I've noticed here is uh, there there are a lot of uh, things that are very, everything seems very accessible. And you'll see that it's very wheelchair friendly. Um, You have uh, experiences, um, parents of children with autism can can have great experiences here. Uh, And, you know, that brings me to my next question um, is at uh, Gatorland. So in terms of their mission, it seemed like, you know, there's a lot of work in terms of there's conservation education that's going on. And and I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about um, the education uh, or the the, the mission uh, as far as like what Gatorland tries to promote. Gatorland had for many years a very long um, extended mission statement. Very nice, very pretty, but you couldn't remember it because it was just too much. So when our president came in, our new president, Mark McHugh, he came in about 20-some-odd years ago. (laughs) Our new president 20-some-odd years ago. ago. We we hang around for a while. Tim's been here a while. When Mark got here... We walked around, and he was asking, what's the mission statement? And people do parts of it. And he said, how can you accomplish your mission if you don't know your mission statement? So we sat down and had a long meeting, a lot of great ideas. And he said, all right, here's what I heard. We want people to come in here and have fun. We want them to smile, and we want them to leave with special memories. That's going to be our mission statement. We provide our guests with fun, smiles, special memories, period. It's nice, simple, easy. And that's what we want to do. When you come to Gatorland, we want you to have fun, smile a lot, and go home with special memories. All right. Now we're going to let Noah ask a question about alligators, and we have a couple. We have some people on our Facebook live stream right now. Oh, cool. And so, if anybody who's watching this video has a question, go ahead and post it below, and we'll make sure to ask Tim about that. Now, Noah, you've got a question. Um. Uh. I I remember it. It was how. Oh yeah. How much do alligators? I meant. How when how how much do alligators eat? How much do they? How much do alligators eat? Well, in, maybe in one setting, one dinner time. Yeah. Well, it depends on the alligator, how big it is, and and when he ate last. But I, that's a very good question. We get asked that a lot, Noah. And here's, it's it's kind of a multifaceted question. It's not so much how much they eat; it's how often they eat. Alligators are reptiles, so when it cools off, they don't eat much. When it's warm, they eat more. And alligators um, in the wild, the big alligators like you see here at Gatorland, they probably eat six or eight times a year. Not a day, not a week, not a month, a year. Here's where we have a problem with alligators in the wild. People think it's pretty neat to go out in their backyards or in lakes or ponds they might be near and throw bread and marshmallows and scraps from the table. That's not good. One, the alligator loses its fear of people, and instead of running off when it sees a person, it runs up looking for something to eat. Two, it's against the law. If you feed a wild alligator in the state of Florida, you could go to jail or pay a fine. So we we really discourage people from feeding any wild animal, but especially alligators. It's, It's a very bad habit to get into. So I have a, que- do, do, have a new question. We have a question. Yes. How long do alligators live? They live up until they die. And, uh, <laughs> but alligators normally live about between 50 and 70 years. Uh, in captivity, like our animals, they'll live a much longer life because they don't have the stresses that they have out in the wild. Plus, we feed them a lot. A lot. Mm. They eat like we do a, a lot. <laughs> So I have a question, um, and that is, uh, if you encounter, let's say you're living in Florida, and all of a sudden, a gator's in your backyard, mm-hmm. like, and you don't know how it got there, you don't know where it normally lives, what should you do? Well, first off, leave it alone. And if it's not bothering anybody, or it's not bothering pets or livestock, just leave it alone. It's not going to hurt anything. But if, if you think it's a threat, if you think it's a nuisance, don't take it in your own hands mm-hmm. to take care of it. They're still protected by law, so contact FWC, the Florida Wildlife Commission. Mm-hmm. They will determine if it's a nuisance animal. And depending if it meets their criteria for a nuisance animal, they will contact the county trapper. The trapper will come out and remove the animal. If you go out there and try to catch it or kill it on your own and you oh. don't have a permit, you can get in big 
big trouble. Yeah. Call FWC. They're the professionals. They know how to handle it. They know what to do. Don't don't call Gatorland. We have people call us all the time. I've got a gator in my backyard pond. Who do you call? And we say enjoy <laughs> yeah. it, you know, yeah. but don't call. We can't touch them. We yeah. can't touch them. So they're uh, trappers then that are they're licensed by the state. That's their job. We've that, seen we've seen them out. Um, so I was uh, out running one time and saw gators probably just under six foot. And I think that there's also maybe a length. Uh, yes. th- there's kind of a, some guidelines for that as well, right? There, there is. If it's under about three to four feet, they're not going to bother it. No. But uh, if it gets up in the five, six foot and larger class, eh, that's an animal that could do some pretty good damage to a person or mm. a pet. And so we tell you, and that's nothing. Don't don't go out swimming or messing around at night, early morning when alligators like to hunt. Um, if you have pets, keep them away from the water's edge if they're not on a leash or a lead. Uh, alligators are very crafty hunters. Mm-hmm. They they rely on stealth, and when you're only eating a few times a year, you get a dog out there swimming around. I have a dog. I live on a lake, and there's alligators in it. I don't let my dog get anywhere near the lake. Yeah. Um, I think he's too scared to go down there anyway. I hope so. But I'm very cautious of that because if he, it only takes a, one minute of, of a little absent-mindedness, and I could lose my dog. So mm. I keep him up out of house, yep. keep him on a leash, don't let him go down by the dock or the lakefront. And uh, people just need, you need to be observant. If, if you think you may have alligators in your area, real easy to find out. Go out at night, take a flashlight. Doesn't have to be a two million power Q beam. Yeah. Take a little pin light, hold it up to your head like a miner's light, mm-hmm. shine it out on the water. If you see red dots, that's alligator eyes. Interesting. You know that's a good, you've got alligators. That's a good tip. Yeah. Um, so I do. So I have a question. Um, if let's say you're out walking, you're out in some brush where you don't notice it, you come upon, all of a sudden you're like just a few feet away from an alligator, it surprised you, mm-hmm. and it also surprised the gator. Right. And I don't I don't know if they would charge you if they felt threatened, but what should you do if an, if an alligator, maybe you came upon an alligator's nest or something yeah. like that, mama gets protective, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the gator may kind of lunge at you, what, what do you do in that case? Here's Here's... One thing I recommend, if you're going to be walking around, even if you're jogging, and, and I don't run unless something's chasing me. Um, <laughs> I'm too old to run anymore. But if, if I go out walking, I fish, I kayak, I do a lot of stuff around uh, freshwater bodies where gators could be found, I always have a stick. Um, a stick can be a big detractant. Even a wild gator, just stick it between you and them and keep them at base so you can back up. Mama gator with a nest is a nasty lady she doesn't want anybody bothering her house or her babies so we tell you be observant watch you see what looks like a compost pile could be mama's Mm. nest back away if you see if you happen to walk up on a gator basking and you're especially if you're between the gator and the water back up so they've got a route to escape and go around the animal or just completely back out Mm -hmm. of there but if an alligator chases you this sounds a little easier said than done um first off they don't have a lot of stamina they can cover a short distance very quickly that's right but i always tell people don't turn your back on them turning your back on an animal is a sign of submission you gave up you're afraid they know it so face the animal and back out that's the best advice i can give big thing is just be very observant yeah very very observant when you walk around that stick in your hand five six foot stick or longer if you want one you can move bushes out of the way it could be a snake down there it could be a gator it could be any number of things but you can see where you're walking uh, you can make some noise hopefully scare the animal off yeah but you know alligators are like cockroaches here in florida uh <laughs> they were almost wiped out now they've yeah. made a great comeback mm-hmm. and uh we've just got to learn how to get along with them. they were here 20 million years ago and we've become the new neighbors. Yeah. And uh, I know a lot of people don't like hearing that. We get a lot of folks move in from up north and they're not familiar being around alligators, but I don't know anything about a moose. And I know I've watched videos, people getting their rear end stomped by mm-hmm. moose up, up in the northern countries. If I see a moose, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. Cause I've seen what a moose can do. Sure. I see an alligator and I go, isn't he beautiful? You know, yeah, so right. it's a whole different attitude, I yeah. think. Yeah. Uh, 
mm-hmm. really is. Yeah, you know, one of the things I was had a couple say to me one day, a gentleman came up to me. We've been to all the parks in this area, and we liked them all, and I said, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if it were not for our big brothers and sisters. And I said, uh, he said, but I'm going to tell you what we liked about this place because we liked it better than all of them. And I said, really, why is that? He said, every place we've been, everything ran on an electrical impulse. Everything at Gatorland runs on a heartbeat, and I think that's pretty mm. cool. And I went, what a nice way to describe who and what we are. Yeah. We're, we're natural. These birds come in. That's the only place they can to build their nest and lay eggs and some degree of safety, and then they fly out and migrate off, come back every year. So we're helping out in so many ways. Yeah. Um, we're very proud of that. I'm a Midwest boy, but when we moved down here a number of years ago, one thing we discovered very early, very quickly, was that Gatorland is is very beloved by folks that live yeah. here in Central Florida, and has uh, just had such a long and storied past in in this community. Certainly was here long before Disney World was oh, yeah. ever here, and um, uh, but it it really is a great time. And uh, so Tim Williams, again, you're the dean, dean of, of Gator dean of Gator Wrestling. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for oh, for, thank for you. sharing not only a little bit about Gatorland and the, the, the great opportunities here, but also some Gator safety, which, you know, if you live in the South, it's just, it's a way of life. And, and you know, if anybody's got a question about alligators, Gator safety, questions about the park, what have you, go up on our webpage, Gatorland.com, uh, and we'll, someone will get back to you, answer questions about pricing, hours, we're open every day of the year. Um, we have a birding program in the summer for the birders, the photographers, but if you have questions, uh, get get in touch with us, and we will get right back to you and try to answer your questions. And come out and see us. You know, it's a, it's a great family park. Yeah, it really is. All right, Tim Williams, Dean of Gator Wrestling, thank you so much. Bye, y'all. Now, before I talk to you about road trips with the family, I want to talk a bit more about the exciting changes coming to Savings Angel I mentioned before. Now, if you haven't been to the SavingsAngel.com website lately, take a peek. It's savings, lots of savings, one angel. All right, that's where you go, .com. And here's the reason I want you to go there. We have 20 free store lists and coupon matchups that are going to save you money at lots and lots and lots of stores. We got national chains. We've got regional chains. So we're going to hook you up. So all you got to do is just go to savingsangel.com, click on store deals in the menu at the top of the page, and you will have access to everything. And that's all I'm going to say about this for this week. I want you to tune in to my next podcast for the remaining details. I'm about to announce something crazy, crazy, crazy big. So make sure you've hit subscribe to this podcast because uh, what I'm going to share with you, it's a big game changer. All right. Now, along with the changes here at Savings Angel, we recently added a new weekly swag bucks post to our blog. If you want uh, a quick mention of what's hot this week at swag bucks, if you want to see, just come check it out. Every week, we're going to kind of curate some of the best things that they put together. Um, so you, you, you don't want to miss the big stuff, right? Swag bucks is a no brainer in terms of a browser plugin you want to have on your browser. So you save more money. It's free money. If you buy anything online, it's like an additional minimum 1% all the way up to like 20 something percent savings just because you had the browser plugin installed. It is a no brainer savings angel.com forward slash swag bucks is how you get all set up with swag bucks. Okay. And you get that browser plugin and you can put your savings on automatic pilot. Now, let's talk road trips with the family, because I got ideas to conquer those inevitable meltdowns that seem to taint family vacation memories. We just took a road trip with my family during spring break and went up to the panhandle. I just had a short amount of time because I had to uh, travel to San Diego to speak at a major, major conference. Uh, Yes, yours truly, uh, the the Savings Angel himself, uh, spoke to a crowd of over 400 people, social media professionals, and I talked about how to use social media to get lots of traditional media. Um, thankfully, I've had the just the amazing blessing of being featured in the media over 1,500 times. So I had a lot to share, and uh, it, it was just such an amazing experience to be able to speak to a crowd that big um, in, in person. Of course, you know, this uh, 
This podcast, we're speaking to way more people than that uh, every day, in fact. So uh, thank you so much for listening and being a part of that massive, massive army of, of saving angels, savings angels out in the world. All right, let's get back to the road trip now. Oh, I was saying that my family and I went up to the Panhandle. We went looking at some caves. We went looking at some sinkholes. We went hiking in some nature. It was really nice. We had a little bit. Oh, and we also went to the town. All right, we went to Seaside, uh, Florida. And if you're not familiar with what Seaside, Florida is, it is a cool, cool little beach town. And it happens to be the town where they filmed one of my favorite movies. Do you know? Okay, the fictional place was Sea Haven Island. And it was the set of a movie about... Someone who was on a reality show, and he had no idea he was. And it was his whole life. Yes, it's The Truman Show, which is actually one of my favorite movies. Okay, you ready? Let's talk about how you and your family and loved ones can all travel and avoid road meltdowns, okay? My kids did all right. I mean, they kept pretty distracted with lots of devices, and we had fun, and we made plenty of stops. But no spoilers here. Let me go. Number one, ready? I want you to, this works really good with young kids, by the way. I want you to wrap and sneak riding surprises onto the trip. Now, little gifts can serve as rewards for good behavior of distractions when boredom and irritation set in. I remember my mom doing that. Number two, stick to small sips of water while riding. And to minimize pit stops, you probably want to skip drinks altogether that cause them. You don't want anyone to get dehydrated, but um, we made the mistake of my youngest, Noah, having access to... <laughs> it was an eight-pack of, of juice boxes. <laughs> and, and we're like having to stop like every 45 minutes to go to the potty. I'm like, Noah, what's going on there, buddy? And finally, like the third time I open up <laughs> the door... <laughs> Like all these juice boxes fall out of the car. I'm like, yeah, there we go, buddy. That seems to be the problem. <laughs> all right. So anyway, learn from learn from my experience there, and uh, you know, keep an eye on the uh, fluids. All right. Number three, schedule a special stop. Short rides don't need uh, a long break, but anything hitting the six hour mark, yeah, probably will. And so just go ahead and schedule it in. Dads, listen, I'm going to talk to you dad to dad. I know, I know that ambition to get to where you're going. I get it, right? And you you like making good time. Look, I I didn't think I was going to be like my dad, but boy, I absolutely am. And so add way more time than you think uh, it's going to take because it probably just will. And then when you uh, over deliver on on your goal, then you'll be happy. Uh, You know, much as we'd like to, you know, make what the GPS says we should be able to get done in six hours, in about six hours, uh, realistically, it's probably going to take more like eight. All right. Number four, banish sugar and salt. Now, you know your kids and, you know, kind of their sensitivities to different foods better than anybody, but allowing kids to snack on sugary items might appease the crabbiness for the short term. But generally, I think most people agree that the temporary high will be followed by a crash that causes even worse irritability. Plus, both sugar and salt increase the need for restroom stops, adding to both travel discomfort and time. Number five, invest in a good vehicle power inverter. Now, this is one device that I'll actually encourage you not to go too cheap on, okay? If the inverter isn't rated with enough power to run a laptop and a gaming system at the same time, don't waste your money. You'll wish you bought a different one. So, you can expect to spend in the neighborhood of about $45 for this sanity saver. Just hop on Amazon and find a vehicle power inverter. Again, what this will allow you to do is keep your, if you bring in a full-on laptop, um, then you'll be able to charge that as well, all right? Now, maybe you've got all tablets and, and uh, sm- you know, phones and that sort of thing, but here's what we do. For really long car trips, we break out the Wii. It's an, it's an older gaming system, uh, but, you know, through the years, we've acquired a bunch of games for it. So it's kind of fun because it's kind of, you know, all these games that my kids played over the past years and, uh, you know, have like 
I think we have like 30 discs that, you know, we bought a bunch of used ones and bought a bunch, uh, you know, on sale. Uh, so it's really, really fun uh, for them to be able to have. Yeah. And we set up the whole Wii and we connect, uh, we got some cheap little monitors for the headrest as well. So I actually put the Wii in the center console. I connect it to the power inverter and then the video out, I put it right to the headrest monitors. The little Wii sensor, I put that on the roof in the car so that they can all kind of see it with their controllers. Listen, that makes, I mean, especially for those like long adventure games and stuff, hours go by and my kids have a blast. Just an idea for you. Number six, give them the opportunity to earn spending money for appropriate behavior through the trip. However you want to do that. Number seven, leave late at night rather than in the morning. Have you ever done this? Now, this is uh, going to put you driving with kids. What, what's going to happen? This puts you driving when kids should fall asleep for a good portion of the trip. Now, you also minimize stops since everyone should have to use the restroom less and snack less. Now, you'll also encounter nearly empty roads and no traffic slowdowns. Ah, the downside is, yes, you have to be a nocturnal driver. And of course, you want to stay safe. So only do this if you've really gotten yourself a good night's sleep, okay? And if if you think you can get away with that. All right, because I don't want anyone getting in an accident. All right, but driving overnight definitely has its advantages. And finally, number eight, plan family interaction time. Now, if you have specific times that you're going to talk, tell stories, play games, or something else to pass the time, you can head off squabbles due to boredom. So there you go. Eight awesome road trips that are going to help you have an amazing, amazing, amazing summer vacation. You're welcome. So finally for today, I've been telling you all about Diet Bet the past few shows, and I'm really excited about how it's going. You can check my progress right now. I don't, you don't have to join, but just go ahead and check me out. How's that for putting a little bit of pressure on me? All you need to do is go to Savings angel.com forward slash diet Ben. I got a bunch of other people in there. The pot's over a thousand dollars. So we're all in this thing. So if you want to cheer us on, you're welcome to. I'd love to have you take a peek and see my progress um, just to keep me honest uh, because I weigh in pretty much every single day. So and I keep my weight updated pretty much every single day. Now, just so you know, you don't have to share your weight publicly. I'm kind of, uh, I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> I do, uh, just to add that extra little social pressure. Uh, but if I should ever do this in the future, just know that you don't need to do that. Uh, but I would love to have you come join and uh, uh, give me a little shout out or something like that. So thanks. So that's all for this show. I hope that everything I shared was helpful for you and your family. And if it was, could you do me a favor? Maybe share it with a friend so that they can get some value out of this. They will thank you. Uh, they will share it with their family. And listen, you and I together, we are spreading this message of abundance to more and more people. You and I, we're going to change the world. So with that, I want you to have a wonderful week. Come join us over at our Facebook group. Just search Savings Angel. Beware of imposter pages, uh, but look for the Facebook group because that's, join me there and interact with me. Post questions, chit chat, whatever you want to do. We're going to save you money. We're going to help you live more abundantly. And, uh, you know, thank you so much for listening. Uh, it truly is an honor that, that you've made it this far in the show, in fact. Uh, but I want you to have a wonderful week full of saving more, earning more, and living more abundantly. Thank you, my friend, for listening. It was an eight pack of juice boxes. <laughs>